millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is former Sunderland player Danny Collins here. This Christmas, we are asking you, the Sunderland fans, to help raise funds for Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen. It's a fantastic charity with the soul of the community at its heart and they'll be working around the clock this Christmas to make sure hungry people in our city don't go without. You can be certain that your donation, no matter how large or small, will be put to good use to provide help for local people who are in desperate need of it. You can find the links in the description below. Thank you for any help you can give, and a Merry Christmas. Hello everybody and welcome to the Roka Report podcast, now in association with the Sunland Community Soup Kitchen. My name's Gav and tonight I'm joined by Chris. How are you mate? I'm not too bad. How are you Gav? You alright? Yeah, tired. Long day, long day. Bomber, yes. how are you doing mate? Yes. Bomber's on the I'm other right. side there. Yeah, I'm alright Gav. Yeah, not too bad. Good man, good man. So we're here tonight to discuss the Oldham game, um, talk a little bit about the ownership and what's going on and of course the Lincoln City match on Saturday. Um, I think we'll kick off with the Oldham game then, Chris. How did you feel about the performance? And obviously, 2-1 victory came from behind. Um, played a different system, saw some young'uns play. It was, wasn't was bad, really, was it? No, it was a, it was a half-decent game. It seemed like a fairly similar kind of formation to me as it did against Wigan, except, obviously, kind of McGeady came out. And rather than McGeady t- hugging the touchline on the left, we had Diamond hugging the touchline on, on the right. Hmm. And uh, and he and he looked dangerous. I mean, it, like McGeady was our kind of main man in terms of giving them the ball and asking them to do something on uh, the weekend against Wigan. It seemed like Diamond had that job um, last night or the other night against Oldham. So I thought there were signs there. I mean, coming back from behind is a good sign. Always a good sign. Doesn't matter who you're playing. And uh, and yeah, it just gave more clues to how I think Johnson's going to line up. Obviously, uh, completely abandoning the the three at the back, going with four. And yeah, just I think uh, he's. Uh, He's already shown signs of trying to get it forward quicker, trying to get the tempo up. So, yeah, promising as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I actually saw Max Power play two passes forward for once and they both went to Will Griggs' <laughs> feet. It was kind of like somebody had just flicked the switch in his head and told him he's allowed to do it. Yeah, how, how do you think the game went in Bomber? Are you, are you happy with what you saw? I mean, I know the, the, the actual result, don't think many people at this stage really care about progressing in the trophy, but mm. it was a bit of a training game basically for Johnson to try and get some of his think, points across, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I, I was quite surprised that there weren't um, a couple more changes for that very reason. You know, it's the, the the competition that it is. It was an opportunity with no pressure for 
Johnson to to maybe see a few more players. Um, but there, I think there was only three changes, weren't there? There was Maguire, McFadzian, and Patterson were the three that came in. Um, same shape, but yeah. To to echo what Chris was saying, it was it was very much similar. I thought to the Wigan game, with exception to the result. Um, we controlled the game. I, it was another game where the opposition didn't really look like scoring until until they did. Um, but then even after the the goal, they didn't really threaten either. And it was always just going to be a question of whether we could get the two goals to um, to get ourselves back into the into the lead. And um, there were times where we were we looked rather frustrated and and a little bit flat. But on the whole, the, in terms of what Johnson was trying to get the team to do, you know, it's a it's a world away from um, what Parkinson w- was doing. You know, yes, we were, we were still we're still getting the ball out wide and we're still trying to get crosses in, but just everything else around that just seems a lot more. It just seems like people know know what they're doing a little bit more. Um, and considering yeah. he's been at the club less than a week, I don't know whether that speaks volumes for in Johnson's favour or just says how poor Parkinson was. Well, I was going to say that, but I mean, you said three changes. But actually, when you think about it, I mean, Hume was injured, so McFadden mm. had to come in. All he did was swap the keeper out to say, I want to have a look at the young keeper, see what he's like. And then basically Diamond came in for, for McGeady. Mm. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Diamond came in. not Mag- I said Maguire. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, but I mean, if you look at it that way, really, he kind of only made one change, really. I mean, mm. given a goalkeeper a change, McFadden was forced. Change, yeah. yeah. So it seems like then he, he just went, right, well, I want them... He thinks that's his best side, maybe, but he just wants them to play the way he wants them to play. Mm. So he he just obviously thought, right, they were still stuck in that way of playing at the weekend. I'm going to give them some different instructions now, and then let's see how they go. So there might have been an element of that, so not kind of rotating it completely. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I did wonder when I saw that starting lineup is that obviously he he came in on Saturday, picked a lineup, and obviously we're on the wrong side of the result. Um, so just again coming off bouncing off what Chris was saying I wonder if Johnson thought well actually I'm going to give the majority of these guys another chance on Tuesday and see actually how they react from that um, and I think that some of that was born out in his um, in his post-match press conference as well his post-match interview yeah but I mean 47, 47 crosses against Wigan I mean like I said I, I just assume that he, he took them after Wigan and said to those same players right okay I'm going to give you another chance mm. but play like this yeah yeah, yeah. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Let's not forget though that uh, Sanderson should have been in the starting lineup ahead of Tom Flanagan. Yeah, that's and true. um yeah. Only realised when he got to the ground <laughs> that he wasn't allowed to play. Yeah, but yeah. I, it's a shame actually, because I was I was looking forward to seeing Deion Sanderson. It's mm. it's sort of like been it's been strange, hasn't it, since he came to the club. This is a lad who came from Wolves, obviously, and has played a lot of twenty threes football this season. But last season was playing regularly. Until the the season sort of ended early um, for Cardiff, yeah, in a, who were a decent team in the mm. league above, and I I think I honestly think taking into consideration the lack of pace in the team, um, Johnson's insistence that he's going to be blooding more young players in. Uh, I don't think the fact he's a low knee really matters in this sense. I think we're going to actually see a, a little more of him than we maybe did under Parkinson, um, and it's a shame he didn't play. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see whether he whether he starts making the league teams because I just wonder, you know, he he's coming here probably on the premise that he would play more often than he has, and he's um he just hasn't featured at all, and I'm I'm, I'm hoping that at the back we can solidify a bit because that's maybe one of the problems. Not I'm not going to pin this on Johnson, but under Parkinson anyways, we went from being so defensively solid 
to 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 now. We just can't stop conceding goals, crap goals, sloppy goals as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which will which will come on to I guess now then the um the Oldham goal. Who was I saw obviously within our chat it was pretty split. Some I I was on the side of that was probably the midfield's fault for not pressing um pressing the guy running out with the ball. Other people said maybe Patterson should have done better. For me, though, I've watched the goal back a few times. I think it's probably a result of pressing from the front. So you've noticed one of the things in Johnson's, not his press conferences, but his, his conversations with, with media and club and stuff, he spoke a lot about pressing from the front being being something he wants. To, and obviously for that to happen, we've got to be fitter, etc., etc. But it felt to me like we pressed so high that there was just this massive gap between the attacking three in the midfield. And because our midfield's so slow, nobody got near that guy. And he, and he, it, it was kind of like an invitation just to shoot, like do your worst. Um, what, did, what did you think, Chris? Well, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's funny you mentioned you mentioned the fitness word. And, and whenever a new manager's appointed, it always seems to be kind of the buzzword that a new manager brings <laughs> yeah. in. Like my players, you know, when Ross left, you know, everyone said, "Oh, Parkinson got the players fitter," and everyone. Yeah. I mean, I've I've never got this. I've I've never accepted that Parkinson got the players fitter. I, I think it was some sort of kind of illusion that people kept coming up with just because <laughs> that maybe we looked like we closed people down more or tried harder or, or whatever. I don't know, but I never I never quite accepted that he got the players that much fitter. I think the the players. I think Maguire this season's looked about as unfit as I've seen him since he's actually been to the club. So I, I don't quite know where that's come from. Mm. Yeah, I mean, if if Johnson wants to do that, the players have got to be fit. I don't think the players are incredibly unfit. I don't think they're kind of fit enough to do kind of Jurgen Klopp style sprinting every kind of blade of grass when when the opposition's got the ball. I'd, I'd like him to do that, but that that's going to take a hell of a lot of time to to coordinate because a good press isn't just you know everybody charging at once like you maybe touched on there, Gav. It's one person's got to go. And then the next person's got to be in the right position to press the next ball. Yeah, it's anticipated. And it's got to it's got to be completely coordinated, and that takes a, that takes a hell of a long time, especially yeah. especially if the team's been taught for twelve months to to kind of sit and maybe wait for the ball to to come onto you. Uh, so that that's not going to come quick. Just quickly on on Sanderson, Gav. I mean, if anybody uh, at all in the world read, read the preview to the game, um, I made the same mistake as the club. I had Sanderson. <laughs> I, I had Sanderson in the team as well. Um, maybe Johnson read your preview. Maybe, 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 maybe it's your fault. You never know. There was the, uh, he was the only person in the world who read the preview. <laughs> but yeah, I, I actually thought what he might do was have because I, I think Bailey Wright's been screaming out to have a rest in the last few weeks. Hundred percent. Yeah. So I, I thought what he might have done because Conor McLaughlin's quite a, quite a big lad for a, for a, kind of a fullback. I thought he might have moved him to centre half alongside Flanagan. And had Sanderson right back because when Sanderson's played that right side of the three under Parkinson, he's looked he's looked like he, he gets forward and he's got the pace to, to actually go on the overlap. So if you play him as a natural fullback, uh, it would be good to see him this season kind of bomb up and down that right hand side, especially in home games. So like you, Gav, I hope he does get um, a bit more time on the pitch. Mm. So I want to leave Patterson and Diamond out of this because we'll come on to this separately. But um, who who impressed you, Bomber? Individual performance-wise, because um, there's a couple of names I've got in my my mind, but I'll wait for you to wait to see what you've got. To yeah, say. so I thought again, the, there's there's the obvious one in, in Jack Diamond, so we won't need to necessarily go into into him, like you said. Um, I thought Will Grigg once again was was yeah. good without having anything to show for it, and I, I'm I feel I feel so sorry for him, so gutted for him that he does put in these good performances, but as a striker and as a striker with a four million pound price tag, 
the only thing he's going to ever be judged on is his goals. And, and yeah, it was another good performance. He put himself a bite. He got himself into the right positions. But again, just the goal was lacking. I actually thought um, Josh Scoen was was decent. Yeah. I thought he was quite tidy. My man the match. Yeah. Um, he was he was tidy on the ball. Is He took his goal very well. Uh, aside from the, the obvious, um, I would say those two are the, the only two real ones that really, really stood out. Hmm. And you want to add there, Chris, because I, I agree with Bomber. I think Scoen and Grigg stood out. Yeah, just I wanted to mention about Will Gregg. I mean, one of the things I picked up on, I think it was in his first, it might have been his post-match interview after the Wigan game. And Johnson said straight away, I thought it was quite interesting that, where he said, um, obviously, I mean, we, we put far too many crosses in, 47 crosses in the game, which was ridiculous. But he, he made a point of talking about the movement of of, of Will Gregg mm. of actually in, in, in the box. And it reminded us years ago when... When Alan Shearer, I won't mention him on a Sunderland podcast, but but there you go, I've done it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but when when he was having bother and Bobby Robson went into Newcastle and he said, "Look, you're not you're not making these runs. You're moving sideways, and you're not you're not making the right runs anymore. You're not kind of doing your natural game. You're kind of moving that way instead of kind of towards the goal." And he made a point of saying that you know all the crosses like Will Gregg was static and everybody was static in the box and nobody was making a run to the near post to, to leave a gap behind them or anything, even even to take a chance, even if you're not going to get the ball, you're going to create a, a gap for max power or, or you know somebody to run in behind you and, and finish the ball off. So he didn't do that on Saturday, but I noticed in the game against Oldham, his movement was much better. And I'm, I'm fairly certain since the Wigan game, Lee Johnson sat down with him and said, you need to be moving like this rather than... yeah. Know, Put, yeah, he put a video on of the Wigan game. He certainly had a word with him and, and and told him to do something slightly different. Um, you can see that in the in the two games that he's had so far. I say less than a week, and he he already seems a slightly different player. And it's interesting that he's kind of persevered with them as well for both games. Mm. Yeah, he, he he seemed to have more energy in his play. He was just moving more, wanted the ball more. It was good to see him drifting wide. I can't remember who he played the one two with, but he played a one two centrally, moved wide. And then delivered a good cross to the back post, and I think Maguire just missed it. Mm. It's something I haven't seen him do probably since he played up front against Tranmere. I think in Parkinson's mm. first game, I think it was his first or second game. That's probably the last time I've seen Greg play with that much energy. So yeah, he yeah. just looks more ass, doesn't he? Yeah, it's going to be interesting because, and I said this in our chat yesterday, but we've got this elephant in the room, which is Charlie Wyke, who for for the, I mean, I feel bad still. We we slate him so much on this podcast. <laughs> He's got eight goals this season, and that's not to be sniffed at, but like, I'd still want to see us move away from having to rely on Charlie White up front. I want to see, I would I would love nothing more than to see Will Grigg come good, and he's had a million chances, and I think he still needs another one under a manager who's going to try and play it with strengths. I think, I think, I don't know much about Johnson, but the feeling I get is if, if there's anybody going to try and get something out of Will Grigg, it's him, because he just, he's got... He just talks to talk, doesn't he? Hmm. He's like a he does seem like the type of manager who'll put his arm around him and say, Look, I'm not bothered if you don't score, but you're gonna get eight games to prove yourself, to get yourself going. If you don't score on Saturday, don't worry about it. You're not gonna score on every game. But once one comes, two will come, three will come. It's like it's like that with goal scorers, isn't it? Like they have patches, so yeah. I'm I'm hoping that's the case. Yeah, he's got for me he's got Johnson's gotta back that arm round the shoulder up with trying to structure the team as well to play for Will Gregg. I mean, there was a there was a point in the game last uh, against Oldham where there was I can't remember who was running through. It might have been uh, oh, it might have been Maguire with the ball, but he was running through, and I think he had Diamond to his right and, and Will Grigg to his left, and he went to play Will Grigg in, and Will Grigg was one on one with the defender, 
and he mm. just didn't have the pace to not get past him and, and get a shot off. And that's not Will Gregg's game. He doesn't want to be in a position where he has to take someone on. He wants to be played through in behind and then finish it off. Mm. Yeah. So you've got to back that up by playing to his strengths. All right, then let's move on to the uh, the Patson and Diamond conversation I wanted to grab. I noticed a quote on the club website from Lee Johnson and actually he singled them both out for praise, which I say I still don't know how to take Johnson. I don't know whether he's doing this because he actually feels that the pair of them have a, a future in ter- short term at least are going to be starting games or whether it's just he's you know he's just trying to reassure them and let them know that they did well but he anyways the quote goes uh i thought jack was fantastic tonight in the way he played and that's something i really loved to see i enjoyed watching his performance we wanted plenty of movement and that's what we got from him i truly believe over a sustained period of time this new philosophy i'm trying to build will benefit us and blood and the youngsters as part of that we want to win football matches and we have to improve. I went with a strong side along with giving players like Jack and Pat are an opportunity. They performed well and I'm looking forward to the future with them. So for me, anyways, and we'll get on to Diamond, but, and I wrote a little bit about this on the site. Patterson, he's an interesting one because for me, if there's one position in this team where you can afford to give a young lad a chance if he's good enough, it's in goal. Because Burge, he's never actually done a lot wrong, I wouldn't say, but... I don't know. There's just something not right there with Burge. Matthews is evidently just not good enough. He might be a, a lovely guy, I don't know. But he every time he plays, he seems to make a mistake. We've seen enough to probably suggest that he's not worth persisting with. But in the case of the goalkeepers, I don't think Burge, Patterson or Matthews are, are, are under contract beyond the end of the season. So with Patterson, there's, there's, a, there's a genuine reason to give that lad a go. Not only to try and get him to sign a new deal, because he could end up going somewhere else and being a very good goalkeeper, but if we persist with Burge, we know what we're going to get. If we persist with Matthews, we know he's not good enough. With Patterson, though, if you can get him in the team every week and he start, and he play, I, I don't think he did badly last night. I, I'm saying last night, Sean will kill us for referring to it as last <laughs> night. But on Tuesday, um, I thought he, I thought he did well. He equipped himself well, well, and and. It, it was perhaps a sign that maybe we can afford to play him more regularly, but I'm very passionate about what Johnson's actually saying in, in that I, I do want to see young lads get a chance. Am I, am I, am I, do you think I'm jumping the gun maybe, Bomber? Is, is there a, or do, do you think Patterson could start games? Uh, would, you, would you be disappointed if he was in the team Saturday, put it that way? Uh, no, no, I wouldn't be disappointed if he was in the team on, on Saturday. Um, I, I do think he, he, going back to the, to the um to the goal we conceded, I do think he d- does take a certain amount of responsibility for it. That if we're being honest, the shot can, shouldn't have come in in the first place. But that's that's by the by. But yeah, like you said, they're they're all kind of much of a muchness. No one's really cemented that that place down, um, and it hasn't been the case for for a, li- a little while. And like you said, if there's one position where you can say, you know, let's throw a youngster in, um, it would be in in goal. You know, it's not goalkeeper is probably a position where you can get away more than being young and inexperienced. You know, if you're a good yeah. shot stopper, you're agile and you've got a good kick on you, you know, a, a decent touch um, and you can catch a ball, you know, that doesn't really matter how, how old you are necessarily. Um, and certainly not yeah. at the level that we're playing at. You you wouldn't necessarily throw an 18 year old goalkeeper, or, you know, a, a teenage goalkeeper in at Premier League level, but at League One, you know, in reality, if we were Premier League, we'd probably be loaning Patterson out to a League One club anyway. So I've got no problem mm. with him starting whatsoever. I don't think he did himself any um, disservice yesterday. Um, yeah, OK, he didn't keep a clean sheet, but, you know, we, those seem to be few and far between in recent weeks, regardless of who's in goal. Burge is is OK, but he's certainly not that 
far head and shoulders above Patterson that I would be kicking and screaming should he um, should Patterson start over him on on Saturday. Mm. What about yeah. Jack Diamond then, Chris? Um, would you would you think he's you, I think he was probably man the match him or scouring. Yeah. Do you think yeah. he starts at the weekend because of that? Because he he's certainly the one player who emerged with the most credit, I would say, from the game. <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because with McGeady coming back, he's it's kind of it looks like um, it's either he brings McGeady back in and drops Diamond, or he brings McGeady back in and drops Maguire for Diamond. Mm. So it's actually a bit from. His performance at all them, he's actually given Lee Johnson a bit of a headache there because yeah, I mean if he does stay in, it's either a change of system and you know one of the central midfielders comes out like Scowen or Power or or Ledbetter, which I don't think is going to happen. No, and then no. he's then he's got to pick two from three. He's got to pick two from Diamond, Maguire, and McGeady, which which is going to be interesting. Do, do you not think though, Chris, that McGeady maybe because he hasn't played a lot. There's an excuse there, maybe not to start him quite yet, because, and I thought this before he fell out with Parkinson. To be honest, I always thought that at his age, and I always thought that he played better coming off the bench, anyways. Although McGeady will want to be playing regularly from the start, I actually think that, and it, I suppose I can go back to what I just said about Patterson. McGeady's mm. what 34, 33, 34. He's 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 nearing the end of his time at Sunderland. Mm. Jack Diamond isn't, so mm. maybe that maybe it's about. If Jack Diamond's playing well, he he has to start games because there's a reason to develop him. Where with McGeady, it, all right, if we if we're desperate, if we played crap one week, maybe the next week start him in that game. But like in terms of you look at our bench as well, we just don't have that many game changers on there. You add Aidan McGeady into the mix if we're maybe drawn late on. That's that's a good option to bring off the bench. So maybe it's about just fa- defining his role in the team and being like, well, as good as Aidan McGeady is. There's a, there's a, there's logical reasons to not start him. There is, there is, and I and I completely get your argument. I mean, I remember talking about this. So I think it was kind of towards the end of Jack Ross's reign. We were talking about this as well, where kind of McGeady could have been on the bench, and I think he was a couple of times and changed the game. But I mean, if purely going off the last couple of games, and actually, I, I'll go beyond that a little bit. But if I look at the Wigan game, I had McGeady down as man of the match, and he was he was kind of everyone was trying to give him the ball. Look at the Oldham game. Diamond was man of the match. Everyone was trying to give him the ball to do something. So, I mean, on, yeah. on that basis, you'd, you'd have Diamond and McGeady. I mean, that, that's a pretty decent kind of support for, for, for Will Gregg up front. Mm. And my other point I was going to make is, I think this season, Chris McGuire's had, had a pretty poor season so far. Yeah, I think he's, 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 yeah. looked, he's looked tired. He's looked unfit. At times, he's looked slightly uninterested. I think he needs to be pulled out. And I think this is a perfect time at the beginning of a manager's reign. Um, hook him out, get him thinking about his future, and uh, hopefully he'll be hungry when he needs to come back in. The other thing you've got to factor into into there is that Lyndon Gooch has got to come back into there somewhere as well at some point. Yeah. Um. To, to that four. All of a sudden we have options. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a brilliant thing to see because you knew damn well if this was a Parkinson team, it would be Gooch one side, probably and Maguire on the other, and Diamond would be lucky to get on on the bench. But all of a sudden, you 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 are confident that there's going to be competition for places in those. If we're saying McGeady is vying for a starting place, you've got four very, very good footballers all competing for, for two spots, on, one on either wing. And actually, it might mean that Chris Maguire has to pull his finger out of his ass a little bit if he wants to stay in that Sunderland team. Yeah. And the, mm. but the, the, the thing that's led to that, like kind of saying all of these attacking options, is the first one, obviously, McGeady coming back into the fold. But the second one is taking that centre-half out and giving mm. us ourselves another attacking player 
we're now starting to say, oh, we've got these options because actually we're playing those players in those positions where yeah. they actually, sh- we're not yeah. talking about Lyndon Gooch coming back in at left left wing back or right wing back yeah. or <laughs> centre half or wherever Parkinson wanted to play him. Uh, so, so I mean, that that's that's kind of a, a good thing in terms of giving us the attacking options. Just quickly, Gav, I just wanted to talk about going back to the keepers just for a second. Hmm. I, I get really frustrated because I remember uh, Sheffield United away in the cup last season. I, I was at Bramall Lane and I thought Lee Burge that day was, was absolutely superb. And I think if we can find that Lee Burge rather than the one that sometimes rocks up, um, I think I think there's a keeper in there somewhere. And, and I just maybe hope Lee Johnson pulls it out because I think he's I think he's quite a decent keeper. I just think his confidence has been hit with with getting pulled out all the time. But uh, mm. But, my yeah. my only worry there, Chris, and I, this is something I wrote about earlier, was that I don't disagree. I think Burge is all right, but if and I'm and I'm maybe thinking too far ahead here. But if we're talking about like long term trying to develop players, I think this is probably about his ceiling. I don't think he's a championship goalkeeper, and I would be I'd be a little bit concerned about playing Lee Burge as a championship goalkeeper. Whereas I can see I can see logic in trying to develop Patterson if they think he's good enough. Look, he might not be. We've had lots of lots of young goalkeepers come through the system in the last five years and none of them have made it other than Pickford. You know, we had Strijek, Talbot, who went on to make an Ireland squad not too long ago. He's doing well in Ireland. Strijek, I think, is doing really well in Scotland at the minute. So these are lads maybe who could have, if if the timing had been better, could have played first-team football. So Patterson could be in that category where he just isn't ready or good enough. But I've I've watched him over the last two years, probably 20 times. And every time I've watched him, I've never felt like a bit shaky about him. I've always felt he's all right. He's, he, he does the basics very well, which for young goalkeepers is actually, is actually strange. He is my favorite thing about Patterson is if there's a cross comes into the box, he comes flying out because he's a big lad, big, big, strong lad, with broad shoulders, he'll come flying out and he'll catch it. He won't punch it. He won't flap at it. He won't stay rooted to his line, which is something which Burge is guilty of. I think, um, Patterson comes out and he'll claim it. He's got good distribution, which is a, which is a trait of most of the goalkeepers who've come through under Mark Prado. Um, Pickford being the best example yeah, of what? a goalkeeper who's came through that system who can kick well. And and and, and as he save when a two one in the Oldham game showed, he's a very good shot stopper. He's agile. There's just I think he's got all the basics covered there. And um, and like Bomber said. If we were in the Premier League, you'd be getting loaned out to a team at this level. So why not? You know. Yeah. Were you going to say something there, Bomber? Yeah, Pickford. I just, just remember, like Jordan Pickford made his his debut first at twenty two. Patterson's twenty one in the spring, I think. Um, you know, so he's, there's not that much of a difference. You know, it's not Pickford like had, had mine. Pickford had had about a hundred appearances. He, yeah, he'd had a That was the be- yeah. like you've just said, though, Bomber. That's the benefit of being a Premier League team. We we loaned him out all over the place. Mm. Had we been in League One, Pickford would have been playing. With, Played in first team football at eighteen, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. So he does. He does have that. But Pat, Patson isn't as necessarily as young as we probably think he is, because because we've not had yeah. him in and around the team, and he's not been loaned out to to a load of different clubs. You know, he is he is twenty years old, so he he's not a young youngster. Just just give him a chance for me. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a good point. He needs to be playing first team football somewhere at that age. Yeah, yeah. Why not Sunderland? Uh, okay, so before we move on to the game on Saturday. I want to quickly just touch on some of the other topics um, circling around our heads at the minute. Mainly the ownership situation. So, um, although we believe that the the change of ownership uh, announcement's imminent, uh, you know, should should be coming fairly soon. It's still with the AFL. 
there's been a few criticisms and it's important that we address those of, of what's going on. Uh, first thing I want to touch on, because it was something which, which I found quite strange, but I want to hear your takes on it. In a couple of interviews Lee Johnson's done, one which he did with the general media, one which he did with George Colton, I believe, in The Athletic, and another which was done with Talk Sport. In all of those, he mentioned Stuart Donald. Speaking to Stuart Donald, how we found him to be a good guy, how he felt. Just He gave off the impression that he'd, that he'd spoken to Donald in a little bit of detail, and that caused a little bit of a stir amongst fans. Now, I'll save my opinion, but Bomber, what did, what did you... What did you think of of that? Because it did cause quite a stir, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, I can I can see how it would. Um, you know, particularly for people who are skeptical about any particular ownership that involves Stuart Donald still being at the club. For me, I'm trying to look at it a little bit more objectively. You know, for for all intents and purposes, Stuart Donald is still in charge of the club, so those decisions and those conversations do need to come from him. It might be that. Stuart Donald is the proxy for those um, those conversations and almost like the middleman passing those messages on between the echelons at the at Louis Dreyfus group and um, and Lee Johnson. But, you know, it's no secret that both Methven and Donald are going to both keep some sort of stakeholding in the club. So why wouldn't they have that kind of vested interest and in be having those conversations? So, so, yeah, I mean, I can understand mentioning, mentioning the name and, and certainly talking him up um, from a character point of view it might raise a few eyebrows and um so i'm not surprised to see those those views on twitter but for me i'm not really concerned about it um he's going to be in and around the club anyway um he's there so he in in terms of from the efl and and from the day-to-day running of the club if it's not him it's going to be jim robwell and both of those are going to be still at the club so it doesn't bother me no well at the minute though i'll I'll come to you chris at the minute though he is still the club's owner isn't Mm. he yeah. Well, that that's it. That that was the point I was going to make. I mean, if you go back to well, I mean, as we stand right now, but if you go back to last Friday or whenever the meetings took place with Lee Johnson, uh, the week leading up to it, I mean, who 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 else is he going to speak to? You know, <laughs> Stuart Donalds yeah. owns the club. Uh, Jim Rodwell's kind of the the CEO, whatever his role is at the, at the moment. Um, so those are the guys in charge. And the the thing that it screams out to me is, I mean, Lee Johnson. You know, from looking at his interviews, looking from things in the past, this was this was a big stage in his managerial career where he needed to to pick his next job. needed He needed to pick a good one for his next job, um, because he's had a couple of knockbacks. You know, he's his stock was really high at one point, and then it's kind of dropped a bit, and he needed a good job to get back on it. And he he was really talking up, kind of, oh, you know, I, I knocked back a couple of other jobs to take the Sunderland one because of the plans that they described to us. Now, if kind of Stuart Donald was describing, you know, what he probably what was probably described to Phil Parkinson, I don't think Lee Johnson would have taken the job because the mm-hmm. club were in a different position then, and there was no talk of takeovers. Lee Johnson wouldn't have come to a club where Stuart Donald t- turned to him and said, "I don't know what your future is going to be like because we're trying to sell the club still, and I don't know it's all up in the air." Lee Johnson wouldn't have taken that, and the same goes for Speakman as well. Speakman looks like he's got a good head on his shoulders. He had a good job at Birmingham. Um, and he wouldn't have turned around, you know, if Stuart Donald had said, oh, you know, it's, it's up in the air and these new people might, you know, sack you at the first opportunity and we don't know what the plans are. Speakman wouldn't have taken that job. So no. th- those plans have been described to him about what's happening next. So I'd like to go off the basis of those two taking their jobs and, and saying that there's something good around the corner. Yeah, I think I'm on the same lines as you two. I th- personally, I, I, it could just be... And I might be wrong, but it could just be that Donald's just had a very 
kind introductory chat with him on the phone. Just welcome to the club. It's going to be nice getting yeah. to well, know you. Let's not forget you know. how Stuart Donald won us all over in the first couple of interviews that he had with with the, the fans as well. Yeah, um, yeah. So he obviously can 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 endear himself on first impression. One of the criticisms that I saw a lot of people comment on the fact that he called him a good guy. I haven't spoken to Stuart Donald for a while, but whenever I've met him, I've always found him to be a decent enough bloke. All right, he's a bad, bad club owner. I'm not going to deny that. He's done a terrible job since he came here. Mm. But as a person, I wouldn't say he was a bad person. Well, I can't remember I can't remember anyone coming away from Trafalgar Square that, that night saying, oh, that's Stuart Donald, he ignored us and he was right miserable and all this sort of stuff. No, but no. Everyone turned around and said, seems like a canny fellow, he had a laugh with us. No. And, Don- and that Donald Out was never, well, Donald, the Donald Out thing was never malicious from my point of view. It was a case of, you're a bad club owner, you need to go. Mm. So, all right, we're not getting rid of him completely, but... We're not going to know this until we learn more about the new takeover. Um, but in terms of right now, I just don't think it's strange that a club owner would talk to the man he's just given a job to. It does, if the ownership change is imminent, then fine. I think we can all probably assume that Dreyfus has had chats with Lee Johnson and he doesn't own the club yet. And now I'm just assuming that's the case. Although it was in a report in the Echo, I think, over the weekend that Dreyfus had been involved in the in the conversations. Um, I don't think anybody would be surprised if that was the case. We definitely haven't sold them the vision without his input. I think that would be I think that would be stupid and naive to assume that was the case. So for me, if he's spoken to Stuart Donald, it, it doesn't mean that Donald's gonna be in his ear every day, does it? And 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 one thing I try to point out to people on Twitter was look at who's left the club. Richard Hill's gone, Corton's gone, um Paul Reed's gone. Neil Fox has gone. Now, those four were very, very close to Donald. They're gone. So his friends in the boardroom are gone. You know what I mean? They're gone. The The people who are going to be running the club going forward, and it's obvious we're going in a very different direction. You made a great point, Chris. I don't think we would have attracted particularly Speakman to leave Birmingham, a very safe, comfortable job he'd been in for a long time, if there wasn't something tangible there to work mm. with and, mm. and Johnson like you say has alluded to it he said he was blown away by our plans now this could all be shite it could be all bollocks and we've been sold a, a million dreams by this lot and I would love nothing more than for them to prove us wrong and for us in five years time to be sat here going I'm glad they turned it around because we're Sunderland fans we're optimistic we've got to be yeah well yeah, on, yeah. Well, on the point of I mean Donald's you know having, keeping his shares in the club or keeping some sort of ownership in the club you know he came in in the first place because, I mean, he, he always talked about this romantic vision of taking this club back up and all this sort of stuff, which I think part part heaven might have believed at the time. But, I mean, he can't, I don't think he deny, and I don't suppose he did deny at any point that part of it was about money because Sunland he got Sunland for, I, I'm not kind of a financial background, so I don't know kind of the deal or anything like that, but he got Sunland for, for a deal. And he thought, well, if I take Sunderland up to the Championship, Premier League, whatever, I'm going to sell it and I'm going to make money. So he still sees yeah. a big club in League One that if they go up to the next level or the beyond that, that they're going to be worth more. So from his point of view, I mean, if you put yourself in his shoes, you'd on the basis of the potential of Sunderland being worth more, you'd keep your shares in the club in yeah. with the deal. So, I mean, you know, obviously... The ideal situation for a lot of people is that he doesn't have them. But if somebody else is the majority shareholder and he's just waiting for the potential to to come out and make money, then then fair enough. 
Yeah, I mean, the one thing that did sort of make my eyebrow rise was um, the comment that Stuart Donald loves the club. He might well love Sunderland. He might have developed an affinity with us, but he certainly doesn't love Sunderland in the way we do. I think that's fair to say. He's never grown up as a Sunderland fan. And ultimately, like you say, his involvement with the club came as a result of a business decision, didn't it? Mm. Um, So I can see why people might question what he said there. Mm. But um, I think when he said Stuart Donald was a good guy, I would probably agree. He doesn't seem like a bad person. Mm. He just isn't a very good club owner. I think that's fair yeah. enough, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. that's, um, that's and, spot on there, guy. Yeah. And, and in my in my opinion as well, just, just one thing, I mean, because I've seen quite a few comments about uh, Sartori getting getting more involved or, or, you know, just by people saying, well, why doesn't he, you know, and all this sort of stuff. But, I mean, from my point of view, and I don't know the ins and outs about Sartori, but I, I kind of put him to one side because, you know, with him being a senator in, in the Uruguayan kind of parliament and I think he's in kind of the Department of the Environment or something over there. I mean, he's he's not going to drop any of that and suddenly be um, kind of jumping into, <laughs> into Sunderland again and, and dropping that. And he's kind of, he's just trying to run for, for president of, of Uruguay and he's, he's what, he's late 30s, coming up to 40. Um, mm. and he's gonna he's gonna be running for that again. So I mean, as far as I'm concerned, you can you can forget about Sartori. I, I suppose, and and this is something, and it is a valid concern people have. People want their club owners to be, or some people certainly want. If if Sartori's going to take a bigger stake, then they want to see him actually do something. Because really, on the face of it, you haven't seen him do anything. We've been told he's going to do this, that, and the other, and he hasn't. But I think by the same token. It certainly isn't unusual for very rich club owners to take a back seat and employ people to run the football club on their behalf, which the appointment of Speakman certainly indicates that we've actually put somebody who has a football and background in charge of the football club. Um, from there, it sort of trickles down. Every Speakman should now have the autonomy and the investment behind him to employ people to do this job properly. That's the key for me. It's not about whether Juan Satori is in Sunderland very often. I really don't care about that. What I care about is them given the people they've employed the tools to do their jobs properly. That's something that's been sorely lacking in the past. Um, there's obviously been the the rumours about Jim Rodwell. Apparently the EFL want him to take over as the chief executive. That was the the rumour that came out, through, uh, I think, at the weekend. Rodwell is a funny one. We've talked about him a little bit in recent weeks. I've said, I think, on previous podcasts that from what I've actually spoke to people at the club and I've heard sort of mixed reports, some people aren't quite sure of him, other people think he's actually doing a good job. Um, I think it's difficult for me as a fan to actually put my finger on anything and see whether he is doing a good job or not. I mean, the stuff at the start of his reign with the season tickets was a disaster. There's no denying that. The PR was horrendous. Sticking his head out during the, the Project Big Picture stuff did him no favours because... People were like, well, as soon as there's been a sniff of money, you've got your head out, you're on Sky Sports News talking about how it's a good thing for the game. That didn't go down particularly well. But in terms of day-to-day management and running of the club, it's going to be really difficult for any of us to say what he's like. I mean, has he attended a supporters collective meeting yet? I'm not sure he has. I don't think so. so. I don't think there's anything down in meeting notes about Rodwell. I might be wrong on that. But it's it, he's another one. who It's difficult because this AFL stuff isn't going away, is it really? He's... We've got to consider the fact that he could end up having another job soon and then we might need to find a new CEO. That's something I haven't really heard talked about a lot. Um but would you be what what would you be disappointed if Rodwell's part of this new regime, Chris? Or is it or what? Because he's a funny one, isn't he? Nobody really knows how to take him. Well, that's it. I I, I don't know. I mean if I, I'm I'm hoping that whoever does 
kind of start making the decision once at all. And hopefully it'll all come in the announcement who's making the decision and who's actually pulling the strings. Um, and and if it's Rodwell, I would hope that the new owners have got their head screwed on right and they've spoken to him and they're all on the same page. And if he stays, if he goes, it's it's an opportunity for them to appoint their own man. So I think there's kind of, you know, there's... there's I think there's I would plus, like that clean slate. Yeah, there's, there's pluses and minuses to, to it playing out in both ways as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. What about you, Bomber? I mean, just to add in something else on Rodwell, he um he obviously was running the club during the summer when Parkinson bought a load of shit. Mm. And he will have sanctioned moves for the likes of Aidan O'Brien, Danny Graham. So those are black marked against his name because his one transfer window in charge of the club, we, we neglected to buy anybody with pace and we bought a load of old experienced players. And I suppose... Uh, that's maybe why we've inserted a football man, isn't it? Yeah. Well, you you could you could kind of go around in circles, um, debating the 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 Robwell um, situation because you know he signed off on, like you said, he signed off on the the, the transfers of O'Brien of Danny Graham, and but on the face of it, we as fans were well split on Danny Graham. Let's be honest. But Aidan O'Brien, we looked at and thought, oh, that you know he's a canny player that that could come in and do stuff for us. Mm. So then you you question whether Robwell's enough of a a football man. To to have the knowledge to to suggest whether or not he played, that's a good didn't sign. He, he had a professional career. Yeah, um, but Extremely. is he close enough to 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 football at this level now? Who knows? And and then you but then you mm. say okay, well that means that the recruitment team was poor, so it's not on him. But then he's in charge of the recruitment team, so then it does fall back <laughs> on him. You know, you could go and you could endlessly flip flop between yeah, um, uh, like bashing him and then making excuses for him. For me, I've I've not really got an opinion on it. If he if he stays or he goes, I haven't seen enough of him, good or bad, to to suggest whether it would be a good thing or a bad thing. The only thing I would say is he's kind of the last one now in the in the jobs for the boys' brigade. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think if it's new ownership, I think probably he'd be best placed taking that EFL job if it's offered to him and us starting again with it. Go on, Chris. Just just really quickly, I just, I just wanted to say about the summer. Um, I think. I think the recruitment team was basically Phil Parkinson. Yeah. Because um, Rodwell, <laughs> Rodwell had just come in and he, he kind of hadn't gotten his uh, a kind of fate under the table. And then Parkinson was probably giving him a list of players. And actually, I think um, I, I, my guess is that Rodwell basically backed Phil Parkinson. Said, well, you're the football man. I'll get you those players. Mm-hmm. And it was Phil Parkinson at the end of the day who uh, who brought in those players who, who essentially failed. Yeah, right. We've went forty odd minutes, and we haven't really touched on Lincoln. So let's talk about it. It's meant to be a preview show, and we haven't actually previewed the game. Um, yeah. So Lincoln Saturday away, the second in the league. I've done a little bit of research on them. The second in the league. They've won the last three league games. They've got the best defense in the league. They've only conceded ten goals in fifteen league games. They have only scored twenty in fifteen though, which isn't bad. But it's comparatively, it's not as good as some of the, even the teams in the middle of the table. They're a funny team, basically, to play about at this stage, I would say. But I think Sunderland at any any stage of the season are capable of beating anyone in this league. They're just it's about whether we turn up, isn't it, Bomber? Really? Well, that's the thing. It's 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 more about us than it is the opposition week in week out. You know, every every game we go into are games that on paper you line up the two squads, you line up the the clubs, etc., and they should be games that that we're winning, with the exception of possibly you know your Portsmouths, your Hulls, etc. But yeah, it, I, for me, it's it's all down to us. If we turn up and um, you know our key players are one on the pitch and two performing, it's a game that I'd be confident that we'd win. Mm. But you know we've been proven time and time again this season that it, it doesn't take an awful lot for us to go a goal behind and then struggle. Yeah. 
Um, that first goal, if there is to be one, I think is if ever that is carried the most importance, it will be it will be this weekend. So like you say Lincoln have got the best defence. They're not that necessarily prolific, but if they go one nil up and have something to defend, it's going to make our our job eternally more difficult. Um, especially mm. as we have been so wasteful um, in in most recent weeks. You know, the last five, six, seven games, um, we've been either not able. We've sorry, we've been either unable to create chances. Or when we are creating chances, we're, we're being very wasteful with them. So it's going to be a knife edge, definitely. Um, it, like I say, it just depends on which Sunderland turn up Saturday. Yeah, what would be a good result then, Chris, do you think? I'd, I'd be happy. I'd be more than happy with a with a draw at the weekend. And it's it's weird saying we're going away to Lincoln City and I'm, I'm being happy with a draw. And I know a lot of people are going to say that through gritted teeth, I think. But I, th- I think we need to. I think if, if this team's... I mean, if you look at purely form-wise, I think we are, in fact, bottom of the League One form table. Um, just looking at the, the the last five league games, we've we've lost oh, two, lost two, drawn, th- <laughs> lost two, drawn three, and I think the next worst because we can beat us. I think the next worst is uh, Shrewsbury at the bottom. We've drawn four and lost one. Um, so I think we we are in fact bottom of the the form table in, in League One. So looking at that, um, I, I'd be happy with a draw. J- just looking at their last three games, you say they've won the last three off the belt. Uh, interestingly, they they were against uh, Rochdale, Swindon, and and our our favourites Wigan Athletic, um, who were all down there struggling. So th- this is this is their first game for a while against a team that's kind of well. I'm going to say top half because we're just clinging on to, to the top half. I think. <laughs> so yeah, I'd, I'd I'd be happy with the draw this weekend. Right. So let's say we we win Bomber. How massive could that be for Johnson the season? Everything. Well, it's, it's, it could be everything. It could be a defining moment. You know, back-to-back wins. I know it's it's two different competitions, but back-to-back wins, it just, just gives everybody a lift. It will give the, 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 the dressing room that bit of a lift. I think he, something that was really, I thought, pertinent for me in um, Johnson's post-match interview was that he, he, was, he, he was almost like breathed a sigh of relief and said, yeah, I, you know, I finally saw a bit of personality from the dressing room yeah, uh, at yeah. the end of the game. And I think that spoke volumes for me is that it does seem to be that it's a dressing room that is is quiet and and you know retracted into its shell and and you know a, a big win not necessarily not a big win by scoreline but you know a, a huge win in terms of stature against a team that's in the automatic promotion places will just go to bring them further out their shell and I think it could yeah. be the catalyst that that starts hopefully starts a very very good run over a busy Christmas period and we kick on in the new year and um and you know really charge at that table because somehow we're in ninth place but you know we're not we're within touching distance of everybody else still yeah I've just I've just in fact I've noticed Plymouth Argyle who've lost four out of the last five so we might not be completely bottom of the of the form table but one thing I just wanted to say about the the, the weekend I mean one thing I do want to see oh and, and I'd be actually really impressed if we do see it because I know we saw it against Oldham but they're they're kind of League Two and I think Lincoln's a real test. And I'm hoping, and, and I'd be impressed with Lee Johnson if we do see some progress in terms of how we structure our attacks, get a bit of tempo into the final third. And if we start seeing some of that, I'll be impressed because his first week has been three three games in one week. So he hasn't had a lot of time on the training ground. So if we start seeing some of his ideas kind of coming across on the pitch and it's looking good, then at least you know if we if we do go down at the weekend, at least we'll see some kind of green shoots um for for the games after that because it's it's Wimbledon three days after that um right. so, so he hasn't got much time to to prepare on the on the training ground. How how bad would a loss be then? Say we lose and it's not a great performance. 
how does he? Because obviously Johnson's going to need time to prove himself, bomber, isn't he? It's like, but at the same time, and they've they've made a very big point of this, Speakman and um and Johnson since he came to the club, they've made a big point of of sort of showcasing the fact that short term results have to improve. We've got what three weeks, four weeks till the transfer window opens. Mm. So I mean, how long? How how long's his grace period? Really? Well, I don't. In all honesty, I don't think he has one. He has to hit the ground running. I think one of the reasons, or one of the reservations that, that Danny Cowley had um, in being considered for the job, was that the immediacy of of results that were that would have been expected, and the immediacy of um, of success. Um, so, in in short, Gabby doesn't. He's taken over at a time. You know, December is is the busiest period of the of the football calendar. Um, we're already playing catch up with, well, for all intents and purposes, eight teams that are above us in the league. He he doesn't really have a grace period. I think if we were to go down to Lincoln on um, Saturday, but put in a decent performance, and let's say we lose a, a, a tight two-one, where we've been a little bit weight, we've created chances and missed them, and they've you know scored in the in the last couple of minutes, that would be acceptable. Is probably the wrong word. That would be palatable. Um, yeah. But all that means is that we have to go then three, four, five games on the banks winning essentially, because um, otherwise yeah. we do we are in danger of being cut adrift. What about you, Chris? Then is it um is it a, is it a disaster if we don't win or uh, will it be a disaster? Um, it, it won't be great, obviously. Um, going to Lincoln and getting beat. Um, I, I made the point earlier about uh, the performance being huge because I'd I'd like to see um his stamp on on the team. Um, I, I already think he's he's kind of making moves to to shape us how he wants to how he wants to us to play um which is good especially how little time he's had on the training ground um but will it be a disaster i still think i still think with how league one shaping up i think teams are slipping up um kind of tripping over themselves especially in the playoffs i mean just look how badly we've been playing and we're still three points outside the playoffs which which is amazing considering the the run of form we're on hmm. so i hmm. think it's still there for the taking if if we go on a really good run um, and as Bomber says, I just think if he's if he does the the legwork, then it might not be a disaster as long as we're moving in the right direction. Because if if we go on a and I'm going to kind of compare it to the Peter Reid type run of ninety five ninety six and the the Roy Keane run, where you know we were kind of mid table going in even halfway in the season. You're talking December January, we were down in mid table. Then go on a run like that. And it, it's still there for the taking, as far as I'm concerned. So as yeah. long as he's moving in the right direction, there's still always a chance. Mm. They're a funny team, Lincoln. Actually, I'm just looking at their because uh, obviously I mentioned before they don't score many goals. The captain's Liam Bridcut, someone we know all about, and he hasn't played the last few games. But his midfield partner, George Grant, somebody I've kept an eye on over the years. He's just somebody who's at this level, anyways. He's a good player. Um, he's got nine goals and six assists from the centre of midfield. So clearly. That's where the battle is to be won, isn't it? With Grant and, and Bridcut in there, it's going to be a difficult one. You know, hopefully that high press that we've been trying to impart um, will 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 work because those are the two important players. Yeah, they, they won't come near each other though. No, <laughs> they'll no. probably not <laughs> go within ten yards of each other the whole game. <laughs> the second top scorer as a centre half, Lewis Montsma. He got eight goals from centre half this season. So clearly what? they're they're a good set piece team, aren't they? Because I'm presuming Grant takes the corners. And Montemar's about 18 foot tall. <laughs> um, the centre forward's Tom Hopper. He's got four. So for a team who's second, I wouldn't say that's particularly great. Mm. Um, maybe the key is to to try to snuff those set pieces out. And maybe playing a keeper like Patterson, who doesn't 
there isn't a free to come off his line because mm. um, it feels like it's going to be a it's going to be a it could be a difficult afternoon if we don't defend particularly well. Something we haven't done for for a while for me. Like Bailey Wright, for instance, and we touched on him earlier. He was very poor against Oldham. He hasn't had a he hasn't had a good game for a while. But one thing I try to point out to the lads in the chat when he was kind of getting slagged off during the game yesterday was that under Johnson you're going to see Bailey Wright become a very important player because he's got a trust with him. So even if it's just this season, he might leave at the end of the season. I don't know. But um, the trust's there between them. And he's, before he was even considered for the Sunderland job, Johnson taught up Bailey Wright a lot. Um, similarly, Scowen. So it was good to see Scowen play well against Oldham. Scowen was one of his best players at Barnsley. So we have to, I guess, on Saturday, hope for a better performance from Bailey Wright. Because when he plays well, we we keep clean sheets because yeah. he, he was an absolute he was an absolute rock at the start of the season in defence. What sort of team would you go for, Bama, if you were if I, you were him? I wouldn't necessarily change an awful lot, to be fair. Um, I I do think Burge will come back in. Patterson maybe saved just for the um for the um the cup games. Yeah, I don't I I don't think that obviously the the system will change. I think probably I think Jack Diamond will probably keep his place. I think I he should. So, yeah. I think he deserves to. So then it's a question of what do you do with McGeady and Maguire. I'd like to see Will Gregg keep his place. I, I want to see Will Gregg, whether he scores or, or not, really. I want to see him in for the next five or six games, playing at least I an agree, hour. I agree, yeah. But yeah, I, I think it, I don't really see it changing an awful lot. I think Scarlett as will, will keep his place. I think we'll see Dobson still on the um, on the bench. But yeah, I, if if it turned out to be the exact same lineup, bar a keeper swap. Um, as Tuesday, I, I wouldn't be disappointed. What about you, Chris? I, th- I think uh, by the looks of it, I think with what he did against Oldham, I think he'll go same again. But uh, I, I personally would see uh, Maguire come out and Diamond come in on the right, um, and McGeady on the left. I think at the back, I like you said, I think Bailey Wright. He, he loves Bailey Wright, so I think he's going to. F- kind of keep persevering with him to make sure he gets back to the form that we saw earlier in the season. And uh, McFadson will obviously come in for staying there for Hume. Um, in goal, it could be interesting, but I think, I, I just think he'll go for Burge. I'd, I'd be surprised. Part of us does think he might go for Patterson, but it would be a slight surprise. Um, but but basically the same system. I think yeah, it looks like that. that's what he's going for. Um, and I think he'll try with that pace on the right with, with Diamond, I think, and, and Maguire drops to the bench. The midfield and the fullbacks are going to have their work cut out then by the sound of it. That's the one thing before three three, isn't it? The um, it sort of it gives the the wide players an excuse not to track back as much. But I'm not necessarily um against that, particularly against a team who don't concede many goals. That sort of tells us Lincoln sit back a bit mm. and don't um don't necessarily take the game to teams. I might be wrong. I, it would have it would have helped if I'd done a bit more research on Lincoln, wouldn't it? And I would have known how. The, but certainly the results and the form across the season tells us. They're a very tight team, which would be typical of Michael Apple and his teams teams tend to be very well organised and um Lincoln are certainly defying the odds this season, so I think it's gonna be a tough game. I'm gonna go around the table for predictions because yeah, we, we all seem a little bit wary of Lincoln. <laughs> I'm not too sure. I I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's gonna be a, a nil nil draw. I just there's something about it. One, on one hand I think we might get beat, the other hand I'm sort I'm sitting here thinking I think I think Johnson knows the value in a point away from home against a good team as well at this stage of his managerial career. I don't know if he's I don't know if he's in the in the in the in the zone where he can start taking risks, Bomber. I don't know. It's it's a tough one to call, isn't it? Yeah, it, it is. I, I think for me, I I back you with a with a draw. I was gonna go with a one one draw. Um, mm. you know, I, I see it being a close game. I see it being a nip and tuck. You know, like you said, 
Lee Johnson's a savvy enough manager to recognise a, a draw or a point away from home to second in the league, irrespective of who it is, is a good result on paper. Um, he knows it's not it's not long enough, or he's not been there long enough to to kind of get us to a point where we are attacking those sorts of teams and and looking to put them away. So so yeah, I I would be happy with a good performance and a draw. Um, anything more than cool. that is um is a bonus. Chris, what about you? Yeah, well, you've gone. Uh... Uh, Gav, you've gone for what I was going to go for, nil-nil. And then I thought, well, OK, well, Gav's going to go nil-nil, so I'll go 1-1. <laughs> and then Bombers went 1-1. So, for um, just 10 nil then. Just to be different, I'll say that we're going to nick it with the only goal of the game, and that will come from McGeady. So there you go. Heard it here first. That's lovely. I'll take that. I'll take that. OK, mm. we'll wrap up there. We've went on too long. People are probably sick of hearing us. So, uh, yeah, we will we'll end that here. Thank you very much, lads, for joining us. Uh, everybody who's listening, do us a massive favour. And if you haven't already, donate to the Sunderland Soup Kitchen fundraiser we've got running at the minute. Um, you might have already heard the podcast I recorded with Andrea Bell, the, the, the lovely lady who runs the show over there. Please just listen. Listen to our story. Listen to what they're doing there. And you'll understand that as a person who loves Sunderland, not just the, the team, but the place, that you can make a real difference to, to very many lives. So, yeah, and thank you very much, everybody who's already donated as well. Because, I mean... It's unbelievable just how far this thing's risen. I'll not give the total because by the time this thing goes out, we'll be well past that. But um, no, thank you everybody who's donated and um, thank you for listening. And we'll uh, we'll catch you after the game, of course, with the Player Ratings Podcast. So thank you very much, lads, for joining us today. And uh, we'll catch you all down the road. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.